Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Glojo. I am your host, Leanne Kalal. And today, the interview that I have lined up for you, I would say takes the cake for being the most fun interview. I laughed and giggled (laughs) so much. And we talked about so many different things, but it all was interconnected and made sense. So I'm really excited for you to dive in and enjoy this interview with the wonderful, the fabulous Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. If you don't know who Jeremy is, I'm excited because you're going to love him. (laughs) He is the founder of longdistancelovebombs.com. That's his website. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Go check it out. You can check out his courses, his coaching, everything that he's up to. Also follow him on Instagram. His handle is at long distance love bombs. He shares these love bombs. They're incredible. (laughs) You got to go check it out and then you'll know why this man is so amazing. He's an author. So I'm going to be doing a book giveaway. His book is super cool. You can tear out the pages and give the love bombs to people. So stay tuned for that. Um, But it's more about Jeremy. So he's a TEDx speaker and he really is trying to make kindness cool again. And that's what his TED talk was on. He's a PhD scholar and he studied the science of human behavior with the focus really on how attitudes affect action and how we can communicate to inspire greater and lasting change. This is a piece of what we talk about today. We talk about why do we self-sabotage? Why do we do things that we know aren't ultimately going to serve us? And why do us humans do the human things that we do? He's also a spoken word poet, and he does some spoken word at the end of this episode too. So there's a lot Let's get started and enjoy the behind the scenes moment. At the very beginning of this episode, you will see that I pressed record a little earlier today. I hope you enjoy getting a sneak peek of some of the things that go on here at the Glojo. Well, so the official, so we're recording and where is it? Well, since you're in the Glojo, this is how we got it started around here. For real? This is awesome. <laughs> Isn't it fun? We just got to get like the, get the vibes going. We're feeling our feel good. I'm deeply tapped into the frequency of the universe right now. Feeling the waves. <laughs> I am immersed in namaste. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we shall now begin. <laughs> perfect. Oh, awesome. So Jeremy, welcome to the Glojo. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm stoked to be here. This is the first appearance I've ever done in which it began with sound healing vibes. That's right. Well, my my goal is to make the Glojo the best, most fun podcast for the listeners, for the experts that I interview. So I'm happy this was a first for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked to be here. And obviously I adore you. And I think this will be super fun. 
Yeah. Well, let's just start jamming. I know there are so many things that I want to talk to you about. For everyone listening, I met Jeremy probably a couple of years ago. And honestly, this man is a special... You're just a really special human. Your words are so powerful. They're so deep. You're this modern day philosopher. And also, like on a personal note, every time I would meet Jeremy or be around him, I would just clam up. I get really uncomfortable (laughs) and my palms would get sweaty and I would spill my guts to this random stranger. Basically, like I would meet him and it was no small talk. I would just start telling him all of my dreams and goals. I think you were the first person, one of the first people that I said, hey, I have this idea for the Glojo. I remember that dinner. (laughs) You were so kind of hesitant to discuss that topic. And you alluded to this big dream and you kind of mentioned that you had this idea. Yeah. And I was like, what is it? And you're like, oh, you know, I haven't really told. And I was like, what is it? Like, let's talk about it. And I remember, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I feel like you jumped on Instagram that dinner and grabbed the handle and like started an Instagram account. Well, there's still nothing. There's still, it says like Glojo, find your mojo at the Glojo, I think is what it says right now. It's currently inactive, but yeah, you're right. And that was, I don't know, it's interesting because when I think of you and when I've met you throughout the years, you have been this kind of special safe space and this safe inspiration. Like I feel inspired when I'm around you and I have a feeling that this is how most people feel when they are with you. And so this is why one of the many reasons why I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. And for everyone listening, Jeremy has a TED Talk on why kindness is cool. And he started a kindness revolution. He has a book. He's the author of Long Distance Love Bombs. I actually have a couple copies on their way right now. So I will be doing a giveaway because I'm just excited to get your work out into the world. And also giveaways are fun. <laughs> so Super fun. Thank you. Like, yeah, you're welcome. Can I so, sign them or draw a picture um, of a unicorn in the cover or something? Yes, please. Yes, yes, please. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be so fun. Okay. So here's what I want to dive into to begin with. And then I want to talk about more about the kindness revolution and maybe that's how we can weave through the conversation or at the end, we can kind of close with that. But right now, here's what's coming to mind. I met you a couple of years ago. Maybe it was even three years ago. I had this big vision. I am just doing it now. Along the way, I had... And when I was on your website, I'm like, why didn't I get coaching from Jeremy? (laughs) Why didn't I work with this man? Honestly, you are... I'm like, he's the solution to what I have needed along the way. And so I'm going to remember this for the next time that all of these different patterns and habits and saboteurs kick in. And so in your experience, because you're... Okay, also, Jeremy's a doctor. And so, you know, they Uh, might... uh, Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) So I might be like, guys, this is science. But also just like do your own research out there. If I use that word, it's kind of for fun. But also I do believe that I just haven't done my research. So just so you know, if I say something is science, go do your own validation and back back that up. But what I do believe is that it is human nature to self-sabotage. And why the hell is that true? Why do we put things off that are important to us? Why do we not do the things that we want to do that we know make us feel good? Why do we build all of these habits that actually hold us back from being the fullest, most true expression of who we are? 
That's a great question. Yeah. I appreciate that you've started with just a light and fluffy one right from the, <laughs> right from the beginning. <laughs> no, but it's a hugely important topic that everybody deals with. And so I think it's important to dive in. So self-sabotage, yeah. right? I think what comes to mind initially for me is that self-sabotage is the prioritization of short-term benefit at the cost of long-term gains. Ooh. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's very easy to check my phone and not write the book that I've been wanting to write for several years. It's very easy for me to eat some ice cream rather than go to the gym. And so Maluma's ice cream is especially. Good. I know, but I'm allergic to hemp products. And so oh, they shit. use hemp milk. But nonetheless, good ice cream is certainly. A distraction. So when you talk about self-sabotage, it brings up things like distraction, procrastination, fear, anxiety, shoulds, comparison, judgments, criticism, right? And so there's various kind of flavors, if you will, mm -hmm. like there are of ice cream underneath this umbrella company of self-sabotage. And so another thing that comes up for me when I think about self-sabotage is that it requires us to I describe it like a shit sandwich. So imagine that your life right now, you're stuck like in the middle of the, of a shit sandwich. And so you have your past, which is all of your belief systems, your identity, your friendships, your relationships. These are all things that have been built up over time. And you're kind of standing at the apex of those things. And then you have the future, which is an unpredictable, unknown, series of stories that we tell ourselves, right? And so for many of us, if we want to change something in our life, if we want to launch a business, if we want to write a book, if we want to lose the weight, if we want to end a relationship, if we want to start a relationship, if we want to take any kind of chance or risk, it requires us to step into this unknown, uncertain future, which is one part of the shit sandwich. And that's kind of scary, right? Because we don't know what that's going to mean or be or feel like. There's a certain amount of risk that's required to courageously face the unknown, right? That's hard. Yeah. And at the same time, we have to step away from the comfortable, easy, controllable normality that we've been living in for a long time. And that is also difficult. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say we're in the middle of this shit sandwich because we have to both step away from the comfort that we know mm -hmm. will not kill us. And we have to consciously choose to step into this future paradigm that we know nothing about. It's a big dark cave that might have a monster. And so we're in this really uncomfortable position. And so it requires courage. It requires humility. It requires a deep trust that we are going to be okay. It requires some semblance of sovereignty to ensure ourselves that we are safe, that we've got this, that we're strong enough, that we are able, that we have the skills and knowledge and abilities, that we can handle it, that we'll be okay. And so this process will bring up all kinds of stuff. If you've got old traumas, old stories, memories, if you've got proof of why this will never work, why you shouldn't do it, why the last time we did this in 2016, remember that guy hurt us? Like mm -hmm. it can all come to the surface. And so that requires a certain amount of work 
to address, to accept, to feel into, to overcome, to surrender, to relinquish control of what might be. And this is like, it's like takes effort and it takes intention. And it's not as easy as just Mm -hmm. flipping on Netflix and eating some ice cream and saying, fuck it, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. But then tomorrow turns into next year. 10 years. (laughs) 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or next. Yeah. So that's my general framework that I make sense of the world by, I suppose. Like when I think about self-sabotage, because I deal with it. I'm literally writing a book right now that I wanted to write maybe four years ago, but I wasn't ready. And so another completely different avenue, but somewhat related is that sometimes we're not just, we're not ready and we need to marinate a little bit. We need to go to the courage gym and build Mm -hmm. up our bravery muscles. And so sometimes it's just not the right time and we try to force it. We judge ourselves or shame ourselves or say, hey, you're slacking off. You're not good enough. Come on. And we'd be really harsh. But the reality might be that it's not, it doesn't feel right intuitively. And so there's that distinction that has to occur between understanding what genuinely feels like the right time and what genuinely is self-sabotage, distraction, avoidance, et cetera. Okay. So here's the interesting, I love how you said it's like, and sometimes we're not just ready and things do need to marinate more. I think if I would have started the Glojo a few years ago, it probably would have had a really different flavor than it does now because of the personal experiences I've been through over the last two, two and a half years. It's almost like I went on another personal odyssey and now I'm like, okay, I'm back with a new perspective, with new tools, and it does feel like the right time. But there have been times where I think I've convinced myself that I'm not ready, that it's not the right time when it has been. And so what advice do you have for people? Like, How can we start to discern between and distinguish the basically like the voice of, we'll say reason and intuition and that knowingness that, yeah, do you know what? This isn't quite the right time versus the voice of fear that gives us all of these excuses and tells us that it's not the right time and it holds us back. So it's like that saboteur kicking it. Yeah, it's a great question. And the way that I deal with this, the way that I coach is get still and feel God. Mm. So what I mean by that is find some silence, cultivate some peace of mind. If your mind, if your soul, if your nervous system is like a choppy lake that's got water skiers all over it and there's a storm and lightning and all kinds of splashing going on, it's going to be very difficult to discern the ripple of intuition that's created by the pebble of insight or fate or what have you. And so another way that I describe this is that heart whispers and fear shouts. Mm. So heart whispers and fear shouts. And what I mean is that in my experience, personally, when I have had an intuitive gut knowing that I'm on the right path, when I have realized in my bone marrow that I'm exactly where I need to be doing exactly what I'm doing, it has not come from a marching band in a parade with a cheerleading squad in a tuba. It's come with this gentle, whispered knowing that's like, psst, you're doing good. Or like, psst, write the book, it's time. Or psst, leave this relationship. And then what I've observed in myself, and this is where the self-sabotage perhaps comes in, is that the fear in my brain 
gets real loud. And so heart whispers, and then the fear shouts it down, explains why this could never work, why this doesn't make any sense, why very reasonable, rational excuses and judgments and arguments that are very convincing. Meanwhile, my heart continues to whisper indefinitely. My heart just is like, write the book, write the book. And it doesn't go away in my experience. And so I think that each of us knows deep down what we truly want. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I work with clients like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want for my relationship. And it's like, I call bullshit in right. a loving, compassionate, calling you forward kind of way. It's like trying to unlearn all of the stories and unlearn all of the belief systems and unlearn all the judgments, I think is much more significant than learning how to cultivate intuition, for example. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Okay. So there's, okay. A, again, there's a lot in there. <laughs> okay. And so here's the like little side note. I love the themes and trends that are showing up like from interview to interview. And so in the one interview that I had, the woman talked about what is your soul whispering, saying, and screaming. And so mm. I love that you said the whisper because there are these whispers. And if we don't pay attention to the whispers, it gets louder and louder and louder until there's a physical, maybe there's, you get sick or there's this or there's that. And it kind of your the universe will come in and be like, hey, I'm going to drop a bomb on your life because you're not listening to the whispers. So now I'm screaming at you. So I love that you said there's the whispers. Mm -hmm. The other thing, I interviewed a woman on intuition and she said, for me, it's like really gentle and it's this stillness. And you use the same words to describe what your intuition feels like. And so I just love these trends that are coming up. And for me, when I notice trends and how people describe things and our personal experiences, it's like, okay, this is, it's a sign that we're on to something. Like there's more there to explore. So thank you for sharing how it shows up for you. And I think the other thing that really stands out from what you shared is that you said, there's the whisper and then the fears get louder. And I truly, I know for me with my personal experience in doing this, like the first week was so exciting. It was exciting. I'm like, and there's this and this and this. And then the second week is kind of like, okay, it's still exciting. But then after that, the voices got louder and louder. And I know that it was my fear. I know it was the ego, whatever it was kicking in. And I just had to say, I'm like, okay, do you know what? This is getting louder because I'm actually doing something that matters. I am stepping outside of my comfort zone. And so for me, now when I hear those voices, I catch myself and I say, good. It means I'm growing. It means that I'm actually doing something that's important that matters to me. And I'm building this muscle. So I just want to premise that like those voices, when they get loud, it can be a good sign. Because it means that we're actually starting to create that change and we're challenging the systems that have held us in place for so long. 100%. And yeah. another aspect of that is that change requires grief. Mm. And so like you just became a podcast host, right? Yeah. So you've changed your identity. That's true. Which meant that some part of your identity that avoided that, stayed small, wasn't brave, didn't want to be heard, didn't use her voice, like that part of you had to die. Yeah. Right? Or get significantly less quiet. Like that part of you had to shut up. Mm -hmm. And so that requires a certain amount of grieving to be done because there was a loss that occurred. And so this is another reason why 
change is avoided, why self-sabotage occurs, because that grieving process is a skill set that our culture does not teach us. Mm-hmm. Like we are not a grief-friendly culture. You're we right. We're the opposite. We're really not. And right now I think there has been this collective grieving. And it's interesting because I'm actually working with a grief expert right now and I'm supporting her and her work that she does. So this is a conversation that I've been having more. And she said, grief is so misunderstood. We think that grief is typically related to losing someone. But grief shows up in all of these different ways. And Mm -hmm. I think that so often we actually don't give grief a voice and we don't give it space and we just shove it down. And when we shove things down, they're still there (laughs) and they're like building up steam inside of us. And so what Mm -hmm. in your coaching and in your experience, how can people start to honor the parts of them that they are letting go of and honor maybe what's no longer true or honor their past as they move into their future and really go through that grieving phase. Yeah. So immediately what comes up, obviously, is dirty diapers, right? Uh, <laughs> Obvious. Obviously. <laughs> obviously, when my brain was like, hey, bro, you know what would be a really professional, respectful thing to, to think about right now? Dirty diapers. And so <laughs> what I mean by that is, I don't know about you or you listening, but I used to poop my pants. Mm. for like maybe a, a solid year or two. Like I pooped my pants and I wet the bed. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. I you know, threw temper tantrums, etc. That was who I was. Yeah. And then guess what? Over time, I changed. Mm-hmm. And I started being able to not poop my pants. And that's super awesome. And I started being able to talk and communicate and receive love and learn things. I started to be able to walk and explore the world. Mm-hmm. I learned how to use my thumbs, right? And I became a student and I became a driver. I became a voter. I became a boyfriend. I became an author. I became a, a university graduate, right? So I've had so many different chapters in my life. Mm-hmm. And so have you. Yeah. Right. And this is just how it works. And so each of these events or each of these chunks of time has been beautiful and entertaining and fear-inducing. And each of them I describe as like, these are the good old days and they never mm-hmm. get old. It's mm-hmm. like, we're, we're living it now. This is it. And no chapter realistically is meant to last forever. It's so going true. to it's going to change, right? It's going to end. Talk to any parent. It's like mm-hmm. that's a big one. That's a big initiation in a society in a culture that doesn't really do initiations. That's a separate topic. Yeah. And so we're always changing. We're always we're always exploring. We're always expanding. We're always learning and loving. And as a consequence of that, we're always grieving too. Mm. Even if it's not consciously recognized, there is this subconscious part of ourselves that knows deep down that yesterday is gone, that last week is is no more, mm-hmm. that we're going to perish, right? That nobody's going to live forever. I interviewed this funeral director named Jeremy Allen on my podcast. Oh, wow. And it's, it's a really good episode. <laughs> it's a really good episode. You should totally listen to my podcast. I don't want to... I'll, I'll want, link to it in the show notes. I, don't, I totally <laughs> don't want to be that guy. No, be um, that guy. I'm sure it's an amazing episode. It's a really good episode. And the thing that stood out for me was that he says that grief is 
the behavioral and emotional response to loss, not necessarily death. Mm. And so he has this really clear distinction that it's not about death. And in our society, like you think about grief and you think of funerals and it's like wearing black and the loss of a loved one. Like I think of widows, right? And his point is that it's about loss. And so, for example, last year was a shit show. And we each had to deal with the loss of opportunities, expectations, relationships, Mm -hmm. rights, uh, yoga classes. Like we lost a tremendous amount, big and small. And so there's a grieving collectively that was required that I would suggest wasn't undertaken because we lack the skills and abilities to actually do that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what's the answer to that? I have no idea, but I wish I did. But I think that it begins individually with, again, getting still and feeling God and tuning in with what is really going on in your life, in your body. And I'm learning this the hard way many times continually to speak the language of the body, to notice when I put walls up, Mm -hmm. when emotions arise, noticing when I will see someone like my girlfriend being very emotionally fluent and expressive and have judgments come up in my brain about why that's bad or why we need to fix that or why that's not appropriate, right? And so these are just examples in my own experience where I am kind of undertaking the process of learning how to grieve daily let's call it. Yeah. So what I heard throughout all of that was this big thread of self-awareness and Mm. being present in like being present and just being present to what is. And I do believe that the more we can learn to be present and just acknowledge what's going on for us, acknowledge those feelings instead of kind of ignoring them and pushing them aside or not giving them space or a voice that can actually be such a healing, it's just such a healing experience. And that in itself could help us actually start to process grief. And so, yeah, I don't know. Grief is an interest. It's coming up more and more and more. So Mm. it's something that I'm going to continue to explore and allow space for. I feel like I don't exactly have the answer either. But I also love that you said like learning the language of the body. And so how can we all start to learn our own personal language of our minds, our bodies, our souls, and like tuning into that wisdom that actually does live within us. And I think that when the more we can create space for that and that silence, the more access we have to the tools that are going to be true for us individually. Yeah. And that self-awareness component, I think is so crucial. Mm -hmm. Self-awareness is the foundational infrastructure upon which self-love is created. Yeah. It is a requirement. It is a crucial architecture with which to design self-love. And so if you're not aware of some part of yourself, how can you accept it? How can you change it? And how can you love it? And so cultivating this awareness with a sincere compassion and humility is such a powerful and important process. And it's challenging and enlightening and humbling. Mm -hmm. And I I think is the starting point for any kind of transformation. 
Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Okay. So next question. <laughs> it's I'm like, how are we doing? Are we doing okay? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're doing well. I, okay. It's, it's every time you say something, I'm like, ah, there's so much I want to talk about. I could like bounce around forever. So you said something right to begin with that really stood out to me. And it's like, yeah, this is the society we live in. You said so often we go for the easy thing, the quick thing, the being fulfilled, that immediate gratification versus making the decision that's going to benefit our future self, benefit ourselves tomorrow, benefit ourselves months from now, years from now. We live in a society that promotes and rewards immediate gratification. And like, I think that actually fucks us up. I really think it does. It's like it alters our priorities. It actually influences the idea, not the ideas, but it influences the decisions that we make on a daily basis. And so what are your thoughts around this? And how can we start to become excited by the idea of making those deposits into our future self bank versus like, I want it right now. I want to feel good. I want to feel eat all the ice cream and do all the things right now. Totally. So we are a society. And when I use that phrase, I suppose it's a a Western and North American developed culture. I just want to acknowledge the tremendous privilege that oozes out of my straight white male body in a patriarchal... Anyway, that's a separate topic. Um, Thank you for acknowledging. (laughs) Yeah. Just acknowledging that, Mm -hmm. that even these conversations are a privilege with the lives that we're living, I think is important. So true. Yeah. So saying that, I believe that we are a society that is addicted to competence and also a society that shames suffering of any kind. Mm -hmm. And so when those two things collide, we get symptoms such as an addiction to shortcuts. Here's the seven snazzy tips that'll make your business hit six figures in 14 hours. Or (laughs) here's the diet pill that will trim your waistline by six inches and 40 pounds. You won't ever have to even sweat. And it's like... Yeah, I think there was like eight minute abs and then there's like six minute abs. (laughs) I bet now if we search, it would be like three minute, 30 second abs. (laughs) Just one ab. Yeah. It's like so... And and we all recognize that this Mm -hmm. is... And intuitively, it makes sense, right? Like, I am a very lazy person. I am a a recovering scientist who views efficiency as a very rewarding and pragmatic approach. Like, Mm -hmm. why would I want to do eight minutes of abs if I can do four minutes of abs? Like, that makes sense to me. It's reasonable, right? And I recognize that we live in a culture in which people want to be a best-selling author, but they don't want to learn how to write. Everybody wants the platinum record and the million-dollar record contract, and nobody wants to sit in their bedroom for hours every day alone trying to figure out how to move your fingers uh, Mm -hmm. to learn your instrument. And so I think more and more what I've seen is this move towards instant gratification, instant fame, success, followers, external Mm -hmm. sugar water that we chase and less of a sincere desire to hone the fundamental principles of the craft, Mm -hmm. let's say, in however you want to describe that. 
So that might be for a musician, a writer, etc. But I think it also does apply to the craft of humaning, mm-hmm. what it means to be a human. There are also foundational principles. We've yeah. touched on self-awareness. We've touched on courage. We've touched on grieving. We've touched on compassion and kindness, mm-hmm. responsibility. All of these principles are also things that can be practiced. Mm-hmm. They can be looked at. They can be improved upon. There's skills, right? And in the same way that we go to the gymnasium, the gymnasium, the gym. <laughs> I do remember the, the gymnasium the, the days gymnasium. were so fun. Those you are the mean, simple days. Yeah, you, know, you want to <laughs> climb a rope or do some push-ups or whatever. Like we go to the gym to practice and build muscles, right? Yes. To To strengthen. And I think that every single day we are living in a gym. Like I'm in a relationship. That shit is a gym. Yeah. And it's a G-E-M. It's both. It's a gem gem. I love it. It's a beautiful, shiny treasure that also kicks my ass Mm -hmm. on the regular. Yeah. Right? And so I think it's just important to recognize that, yeah, there's certain more efficient ways to live an effective life. Mm-hmm. There are, I don't want to use the word shortcuts, but there are easier paths with which to transform your life. There are methods to learn things quicker. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it the hard way. You can do it the easier way. But I think if we try to focus on just the shortcuts and just the tips and tricks to kind of skip ahead, mm-hmm. we lose so much goodness that comes from mm. the unexpected teachers and treasures that are failure, grief, disappointment, regret, etc. For me, those have been some of my most profound professors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I love that. I absolutely love because you're right. Sometimes it does make sense to take the shortcut or can we do this easier? That's being efficient because that's going to create more space for us to spend owning our craft and connecting with people, whatever is important to us. What really was coming through for me as you were talking is that I think, and this could be a stereotype and again, very North American society based, but we value what we put emphasis on and the quick fixes or those shortcuts that we look for. That's just the, I don't want to say it's like the empty calories, but it's kind of the empty calories. It's not going to give us what we're actually looking for in most cases. And so at least that's been my experience. I'm like, ooh, that would be nice. And that would be nice. And that would be nice. And while it's a great experience that I might learn something from it, it's not actually fueling my soul tank. Like it's not building, it's not fulfilling me on this deeper level. And so what if we could be strategic and be smart with the shortcuts that we choose to invest our time in so that we have more time to spend doing the things that actually truly do fuel us and contribute to our growth? And I also love that you're just so present with the fact that like, yeah, I'm in a relationship and it's the gem gym. Like I'm always learning and there's something there around. It was just like, there was humility, there was humbleness there and how you shared it. And I think there's something to be said about we're all beginners in certain ways. We're all learning in certain ways. So how can we stay open and just be like, yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning how to be a better human or how to be in a relationship or better, whatever it is, or I'm just learning to be myself every day. So do you have anything that comes to mind around how can we stay open? And why do we not... Like, I guess my question is, 
why do we, I, I don't know what my question is, but what do you have to say? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's, so, I feel like you know what I'm going for, but it's not coming through because, hey, kinda. guess what? I'm new. I'm new at this. <laughs> this is good. It's fine. And it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about scuba diving. Okay. Right? Oh, I love these random. Okay. We've got dirty is, diapers. Now we're on to scuba diving. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> this is what you invited me here on a Sunday. This is what happens. Yeah. So, I love it. Okay. So years ago, I was living a completely different life and I did my scuba diving instructor certification. Mm-hmm. So I'd done the open water advance. I'd done the dive master and I was doing my instructor certification, which is like a really hard program and it, it takes a while and you learn a lot. But during the course, at some point, the instructor who was teaching me presented this graph that has stuck with me since. And I've been meaning to do a post about this, which is why it's fresh in my mind. But so it's a standard graph. So if you picture the x-axis, which is the horizontal axis, Mm -hmm. that is expertise through time. Okay. So from beginner to expert. The y-axis, which is the up and down one, is death. It's the number of deaths every year. And so this is a graph of the number of people who die scuba diving every year based upon their level of expertise, Mm. right? And so what was interesting, which I'll explain in a moment, is the shape of the graph. So I anticipated that a lot of beginners are going to die and a little bit of experts are going to die. So I thought like the more that you know, the less likely your chance of death. Right. right? That makes sense. It makes sense. Right. right? So I thought, you know, probably because I, at that point, had worked in the scuba diving industry. I've helped people learn to scuba dive. I've seen a bunch of goobers in the water who I've helped save a woman's life. I've been one. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've seen it. And so I was like, surely the beginners would have the greatest likelihood of dying. And so what was fascinating was that the graph looked like a capital letter U. Ah. And so as expected, the number of beginners who died was very high and it tailored right down to quarter of the intermediate level. And then it ramped right back up again for the experts. And so I share this with you now because I've realized at that moment, but then I've tried to continue it throughout my my life is that a certain level of competence might create an association with arrogance, right? And so the reason these experts were dying was because they were taking risks that were not appropriate. They were forgetting to do the basics. They weren't doing their safety checks at the beginning of every dive where you go through and say, yeah, my air is turned on. I've got my snaps buckled. I've got mm-hmm. my weight belts. Like they weren't doing the foundational thing that's required to keep you alive. And the sweet spot was in this intermediate level of yeah. competency in which you still did all that stuff. And you also were humble enough to not take risks beyond mm-hmm. your abilities. Yeah. Right. And so I think as a practical level, using this in our own day to day existence, this is really handy. If you are in a relationship, I think the same principle applies. You get too Mm -hmm. cocky, too arrogant. You know it all. In the example I just shared where I'm judging my partner and I've decided that I'm the expert in this discussion that we're having, or I'm the expert in how life should be lived, Mm -hmm. or I'm that, then like (laughs) 
death is a bit harsh, but like, let's say pain is on the Y axis. Right. I'm going to have more pain versus if I can step back and think to myself, huh, maybe I'm wrong right now. Or what can I learn from this moment? Or how can this teach me something valuable at this Mm -hmm. time? What can I practice? Can I be more humble right now? Can I be more patient? Can I be more present? Can I be more aware? Can I be more compassionate? These are things that serve me, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that when I'm starting something new, there's obviously a very in-your-face kind of caution and inability that presents itself. I remember I started coaching clients and I had no idea how to send an invoice. I was like, okay, I need to figure this shit out, right? Yeah. So I I hope that addresses some of your concern. (laughs) So you get the award for the answer, like the best answer to a (laughs) non-question ever. (laughs) Yeah. It's all intertwined, right? It is. Everything we've spoken about. One thing I was thinking about previously in our conversation that I didn't mention that I think might be relevant because I hear this little voice that's like, like, yeah, "Ah, thing you should say that. Share share the whisper, Um, share the whisper. (laughs) Was how the way that I distinguish between the intuition and the Mm self-sabotage for me as an example. So I'm in the process of writing my second book and I know in my bones that I'm supposed to be writing this book. Like I have it now. It took years and it was a lot of undoing of certain belief systems around the mindset. And I'd put the book on a pedestal and lots of judgment mm-hmm. and comparison. And I'm, who am I to write about my life? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I found the path. I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I know that I'm supposed to be writing my book. And so because I know that, mm-hmm. when I get distracted, when I don't do the 300 terrible words of writing that I've set myself up mm-hmm. for, when I don't do those things, then I know that I am self-sabotaging. Then I know that I'm off the path because I'm so certain of what the path is because I've Mm -hmm. chosen it with my brain, but also like in my body. It's like, I am here. I'm supposed to be doing this. And so that is a helpful guide for me. And that, of course, assumes that you know what your path is. Right. And so if you don't know what your path is, if you're just fluttering around the world like a butterfly exploring Mm -hmm. flowers like that's beautiful and special and amazing and i did that for a while and i would say to you one step at a time eventually you look back and you've made a path and i think this can be really challenging because it requires everything that we've spoken about already and it requires this surrender to just taking one step forward i remember years ago i was in the back of a station wagon with my girlfriend at the time and we had just gone camping or something and I was finishing my PhD and I just started this project called Long Distance Love Bombs, which Uh is like now my business. And I was debating back and forth between going down this path that I had been on for literally a decade, which was the science career trajectory of which I had published papers and I was working in this amazing government institution. And I was connected on a team of kind-hearted geniuses that wanted me to collaborate further. And I would be a competent scientist. And I just spent five years doing my PhD. And I felt this little heart whisper saying, like, you should do this love bombs thing. 
And I had no fucking idea <laughs> what that meant. And I remember saying to my ex, I don't know how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how this is going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to make money, but I know, like, I just get goosebumps. I love it. I know that I'm supposed to do this thing. I can't not do this thing. And it was like this intense, just realization and also a profound integrity that came with speaking that truth out into the world. It's like, I'm doing this. Yeah. I am terrified. It's like when the roller coaster is going up Mm -hmm. and up and up and up and you know that it's not going to do that forever and you know Mm -hmm. what's coming and you know that the rush of aliveness is going to completely wash over your entire existence. And it's going to be bumpy. There's going to be loop-de-loops and stuff. But at some point, it's going to level out and it's going to slow down and you're going to be able to step off and look back and be like, wow, that was... That was real. That was quite a ride I just had. Anyway, there's a couple of stories there. Yeah. So I'm being reminded of your shit sandwich. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm being reminded of the shit sandwich of change. So yeah. we've got our beliefs and I do want to talk about that. We'll talk about that next. And there's the present moment. Then there's the future, which is the unknown that we we're not sure of. And the unknown is scary. I was talking with a friend earlier today and she's like, something is not better than nothing. And it was really relevant to what we were talking about in the conversation. And it was about change. It was about stepping outside of our comfort zone and into the unknown and into this new realm of possibility. But it is scary because we don't know. And so what came to mind for me, it's the same thing. Like I've experienced the same thing with the Glojo. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to do this. Every cell in my being, I know I am supposed to be doing this. I have my ideas and I have like things that I want to plan and do, but I actually don't know if that's what is truly what this is supposed to be. And so I think that so often we focus on having it all figured out or we think that to step outside of our comfort zone and into the unknown that we need to know it all, that we need to have this cemented vision. And so often like what we think is supposed to happen actually won't end up happening because there's something usually far greater that's waiting for us or we're going to be directed into this path. And so, yeah, I just want a presence that stepping out, like when we step into the, when we commit to something, we're like, okay, I'm going to do it. It doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. It just means that you're owning it. You're cementing it in. Like, this is true. This is, I know I'm supposed to do this. I might not have it all figured out, but I'm going to take one step at a time. Yeah, that. 100% that. And so for me personally, like one example is, so I host a podcast. I have a podcast called the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. And I've done now 120 episodes or so. Yeah. And I love it. And it's super fun. Yeah. And people seem to like it. Like I don't make much money from it. It's certainly not my career. I don't think that I'm... It's not like the best thing that I do. It's not like, I'm not like a world-class interviewer, but like, I love it. And I continue to do it. And I said to my girlfriend a couple months ago, I was kind of just talking about trying to prioritize things and say no to things. And like, do I still want to do the podcast? Because it's not like a, it's fun, but it's like, is it my thing? And I was going back and forth. And I, I said to her, I feel like 
I am going to, at some point in my life, look back and be like, that was why I was supposed to do the podcast. Mm. There's going to be some... Yeah. I got chills. (laughs) There's going to be some inflection moment in which it's all going to make sense because I've done 120 of them. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of hours. I've loved it. The conversations are great. I'm really Mm -hmm. proud of it. And I said to her, I feel like maybe I'll look back and be like, oh, episode 146. I had that chat with that guy. And then he afterwards was like, hey, I have an opportunity for you. That like, or I know a lady that can change your life. And then all of a sudden, yeah, something opens up that's entirely different. And so I've used this example or this idea, this conceptual idea with clients as well. So you're like your business might fail. Your podcast might not succeed. You might do three episodes and decide that you hate it. Mm-hmm. And great. But like in taking that immediate next step, your life might transform radically forever in a way that you cannot possibly predict, right? Yeah, I love it. So for example, if you decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to start raising goats and making cheese. Like I I just, I've had this- I know someone who did that. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the people I've been like, Leanne probably knows. Did you do their website or something? Or it's like- No, I didn't. But hey, I've I've suggested some cheese flavors. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So like, imagine you do that. Like, I don't know why I can't not do this. I'm just supposed to buy some goats and make some cheese. And like, you have no reasonable, justifiable explanation other than my whole body is calling me to do this. It's a hell yes. I have to do it. And like, maybe you go to this seminar that you see a flyer for on the telephone pole of your street and you go to the seminar and it's like, oh my God, you make a best friend or you meet your soulmate and you get married to that guy. And like, how did you guys meet? Oh, we met at a goat cheese uh, webinar. It's like, oh, I didn't know you guys do that. Like, oh no, we don't. We both hated it, but we met each other there, right? Mm -hmm. And so this trajectory of following the flow, trusting that intuitive hit, because another idea that I really love and I appreciate this podcast is all over the place. And so uh, for those listening, you're, a, you're just a rock star. Thanks for, thanks for dealing with us. But th- this idea, like we always talk about the idea that your life could change today. Yeah. Right? Like today might be the day where you meet your soulmate or you win a million dollars or you meet an investor for your business or you whatever. Like today might be that day. And I love that. And I talk about that too. And it's fantastic. But there's also the day before mm-hmm. that day, right? Yeah. So the day before your life completely fundamentally shifts indefinitely forever. There's a day before that in which you're like, wah, wah, everything sucks. This will never work mm-hmm. out. I'll never meet a man. I'll never meet a woman. Like everything's like, I'll never make money. And then the next day, boom, boom. Everything changes. And I get so inspired by that idea. How yeah. I keep going back to relationships because it's an easy metaphor. But imagine every single person that is married on this planet or every single person that is in partnership with a human being, mm-hmm. whether that's a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever. There was a day before they met that person. Yeah. In which that person was not in their life. They didn't even know they existed. 
right now, as we're speaking, thousands of people are meeting their new loved one. Yeah. That's so weird and ridiculous and fantastic, right? And so for me, I, I think about, I met my partner randomly on Instagram. I remember like sitting down at the couch, checking my Instagram, like this person was like, I love this human's writing, like shared it. And I was like, oh, who's that? Like check her out. And everything changed from like 10 minutes before my life was never the same. And so I think just as a spark of a seed to keep in your soul, like plant that idea deeply and tend to that as a concept, because it is a fact that no matter your past circumstances or no matter your trajectory or momentum that you are currently on, everything, literally everything can change in 10 minutes from now. Yeah. It's possible. I love it. I am planting that seed all over. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's It's so, yeah. It blows my mind. It truly does. And so I was talking with a, it's funny, all of the conversations I've had this week, I'm like, oh yeah, there's this and this. And I was talking to a friend about making, it was about changes. Again, there's lots of change going on in my life right now. And she said, let's not forget about the 5D. Things can change in an instant. And I absolutely love that concept. And that's something that I'm like, why does it need to be this long drawn out thing? Why does it need to be like, and I go through all of these steps, just like this podcast episode, life does not need to be linear. (laughs) Certainly not. And everything can change in an instant. So I love that. I love it. Thank you. I'm so taking that with me. There's something so powerful about it. And I'd say like, screw the 10 minutes. It can happen in 10 seconds. Oh, Fine, Leanne, if you want to... 10 seconds. Nine, everything can eight. Everybody's <laughs> listening and looking around right now. Like, like, a, like a rocket launch, <gasps> right? Isn't that yeah. isn't that the countdown? Or no, maybe that's... Like, anyways, who yeah, cares? But. You did it. It's like the, the ball dropping on Times Square for <laughs> totally, New Year's. But it's, right? it's this idea of treating life like a scavenger hunt or a yeah, treasure hunt. It's I love just it. like looking around like... Right. The Celestine Prophecy is an, an old book that talks oh, yeah. talks about this idea a little bit, right? You go to a restaurant and yeah. it's like, who's here? Who's here for me? Like, who am I supposed to talk yeah. to? Or you go to a party. Remember parties back in the day? Remember those? Yeah, remember those? <laughs> Vaguely. So, so parties have people, remember people? But yeah, you kind of like, you show up a place and you mm-hmm. like look around and yeah. there's little trinkets and treasures. Maybe you want to go to the kitchen and like you see, or you see a person yeah. make eye contact. You're like, I don't know. Hey, I'm just, Hey, I like your vibe. I'm supposed to talk to you or yeah. what's your deal? I love I that's how we met you. That and I is, like, it's true. That is so, well, first there was the restaurant, you know, when incident. I'm like, Ooh, the, yeah. the restaurant incident. And then it was at a party and it was like, Oh, Hey. And I think it was in the kitchen where we started talking yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so cool. So, and this is, I feel like I've referenced this before, but I have a tattoo. I have many cheesy, like basically I have cliches tattooed all over me and I have one. I didn't on my know foot. that. Let's see if we can. There we go. Can you see that? Yeah. It's like the outside <laughs> of your foot. It says the journey is the reward. Mm-hmm. And I got this when I was living in Malaysia and I just needed the reminder because I'll be so goal oriented and I'll fixate on things. And then it's like, life happens and there's this and that. But even if you achieve the goal, if you're not enjoying yourself along the way, then what's the freaking point? Like it actually is about the process of becoming. And I think that so often, 
like with you writing your book, one, I'm excited because I can't wait to read it because I love your writing and your words are powerful and transformational and they need to be out in the world. But I'm really excited to see who you become in the writing of this book Mm -hmm. and the scavenger hunt that you're going on. And what if life was a scavenger hunt? I feel like Again, this episode is kind of a metaphor. It's like we've been on this scavenger hunt following like, oh, what's this? And now let's talk about this. And now let's talk about this. And all of a sudden, it's magic. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, first of all, thank you for the kind words. My tires feel very pumped up right now. Yeah, I'll pump them. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the reasons looking back that I avoided starting that book for so long is because I knew that the idea that I had for it would radically change yep. me. Oh yeah. And it would require going to places that I really was resistant to go to. Yeah. I know that. And I've been doing well. that and like, I get it. So it's like, Oh, yep. Yep. Old Jer was right. This kind of sucks. <laughs> this is, uh, this is pretty tough. Yeah. But it's happening. I love good. it. Okay. So let's do a check-in. I know I'm like beliefs that's been earmarked because a lot of what we've been talking about is kind of the latter end of the shit sandwich. We've got the former or like the sort of beginning and it's this belief, these belief systems. Is there anything that you feel it's important to share? I mean, we don't need to like go on a whole other tangent, but if you feel like you want to, and that's where this is taking us, but I do, it keeps, it just keeps coming up and I can't ignore it. And so I'm wondering what what yeah. wants to flow through? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I know. That I know. That's like that a whole other episode. I was going to just say, I'm like, you just got to bring my ass back one day. I'm yeah, like, all right, maybe. let's finish this shit sandwich. Cliffhanger, cliffhanger. No, but uh, <laughs> like briefly, I would say that I think it's important to ask big philosophical questions such as who mm-hmm. am I? Yeah. I went to this somatic practitioner a couple of years ago named Nicole Lowe's, who's brilliant. And she said to me something to the effect of, how do you know who you are? Mm -hmm. How do you know what parts of you are responses to early childhood pain? Mm -hmm. And how do you tell the difference? And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mind that that just (laughs) sizzled part of my circuitry. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. Like, who are you? really is what it means. What what do you want? Mm -hmm. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you think the things that you do? Why do you react in the ways that you react? And so a lot of therapy or coaching, personal transformation requires us to have a more intimate understanding of ourselves. And so I would offer the idea that your beliefs are choices. Mm Mm-hmm that can be unlearned. And I think that many of us, myself included, we learned about love and relationships and the world when we were young. We learned them from our caregivers, from our family, from our friends, from our parents, from our schools, from our cultures, from the news, etc. And we learned, this is who I am, Mm -hmm. right? People like us do things like this mm-hmm. is a line that Seth Godin uses. And I think it's really important to distinguish that there is a difference between the things that you do or even the thoughts that you think and 
who you truly are deep down. 100% agreed. Right? And that in itself is a big idea that could stimulate significant excavation (laughs) within, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's also as confronting a concept as that is, it's also supremely empowering and perhaps overwhelming because it means that we can change and that we can become any kind of human that we desire. I love it. Yes, it's so true. (laughs) And this is where the work lies. So Mm -hmm. when I work with clients or what I teach is as a starting point, you need to understand where you want to go and you need to understand where you are. And perhaps you need to understand why you are where you are Mm -hmm. and to take ownership and responsibility for that. And then it's like, okay, how do we get from A to B? And that might feel like two steps forward, one step back. It might feel like 10 steps back, followed by 14 steps back, followed by I'm exhausted and need to take a nap for a month. But this becomes the, the work, the unraveling, the unlearning is a significant part of personal transformation. Yeah, I so love that's I love some, some of it. Amazing. Thank you. That was so good. So well said and I love the concept of impermanence and that beliefs can change. They are not permanent. And Remember that's the really dirty empowering. diapers, man. The yeah. dirty diapers. And do you know what the other sort of light bulb that went off for me when you were talking was wait a minute, when I think of the 5-year-olds, 6-year-olds, 7-year-olds that I know now, they are forming their beliefs and we form our beliefs really early on in life and then they stick with us what a like a radically different lens that we view life through when we're young versus where we are now and the concept that those beliefs served us for a purpose they served us when we were young but what served us at a certain point doesn't necessarily serve us now and so for me the big idea here is like beliefs can change what we believe does actually impact how we show up in the world and what we do and what we believe we can do or what we believe we can't do. And so this is an invitation for everyone listening, like pay attention to your beliefs and decide like, is that actually a belief that I want to take forward? Or is that a belief that I can be like, okay, cool. Do you know what you, I'm happy to leave you here. And that all contributes to who we are. And I'm reminded of another cliche tattoo that I have on my arm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that says I am. And I got this in Australia. And the photo's like funny side note. So I got this, it says I am. And then I got this one that says love. And I was there with my boyfriend at the time and I sent my parents these photos and they thought I wrote this on me. Like it does kind of look like childlike mm-hmm. and that really is my handwriting. I did it once and I'm like, okay, put it on me. But they thought I was saying like, I'm engaged or like, <laughs> I'm pregnant. No, for me, I was so proud. I'm like, one, I wanted to get this love tattoo as a reminder to always increase my capacity for self-love so I can have more love and compassion for other people. But the reminder to like do this for myself first, and then I am. This is such a great reminder that I can be whoever the hell I want to be. It's my choice. I can show up as who I want to be at any given time and that we can make, again, going back to like things can change in an instance. I'd like to think that rewiring our beliefs and choosing a different way, we can choose to do that in a moment and then test it out and take that first step and see how it goes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And I like solid (laughs) choices for tattoos. I guess one, one thing I would add to that idea is that 
the concept of beliefs can scale up mm. at geography and complexity. And so, for example, governments are a choice. Governments mm -hmm. are a belief. Countries are ideas. Mm -hmm. Concepts such as masculinity is a belief. Yeah. Right. And so in the same way that an individual can choose to be more courageous, or we could redefine Jeremy as compassionate rather than a jerk or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think politics on some level is a negotiation of what these beliefs mean. And we're having a conversation mm. publicly about that process, right? Yeah. And in some ways, all of this stuff is wrapped up in trauma and our individual and collective responses to it. So for example, as a kid, I learned that crying was like not really done by men. There was no mm -hmm. men in my life who I saw crying or really expressing right. emotion. And so I learned that men don't cry and that showing weakness is bad and that people who do cry need to be fixed, for lack of a better word. It's like, let's stop the crying. Crying is bad. Let's soothe it. Let's, hey, chin up or hey, don't cry. Like, hey, be a man, mm -hmm. right? All these things. And so that belief helped me to belong to my family unit. It helped me to receive love. It helped me to receive praise because I was told that I was good, that I was tough, mm -hmm. etc. It formed part of my personality. Yeah. And that was wonderful. And that was helpful. And it was a response to the trauma of childhood, really. And like, I don't blame my parents. This is not, this is not about that. Like every kid is going to be messed up in some manner. And that belief helped me for a long time. And now that I'm a grown-up in a grown-up relationship with a grown-up woman who is maybe the best crier that I've ever met. It's funny how that works, right? The yin and yeah. yang. Like, oh, totally. date a woman who cries all the time. <laughs> totally. uh, so this is still, as of two days ago, I had a conversation with her in which I had to really confront some vulnerable, hard truth that I wish weren't true. Mm -hmm. And I had to accept that I behave in certain ways that aren't healthy. I can be better. There are other ways to do that. And I'm like, I don't really know how to do that at the moment. I'm just, I'm living out this outdated software mm -hmm. and like, I need to shut it down and upgrade. Right. Yeah. And so this is, this is the work. There's levels to this stuff. And so that means that I get invited to consider an alternate way of living and being. And I get to, be humble enough to accept that I'm learning stuff. And I get to be curious about what my relationship might look like in a month or a week or a year yeah. when some of this stuff is, is addressed. Shedding and I get to be excited about that. Like, yeah. yay, I'm not perfect. Right. Great. Ah, okay. <laughs> and I get to practice courage and I get to yeah. practice vulnerability and I get to practice humility and all these other things that are foundational elements of what it means to be a good human. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's hard and it sucks. <laughs> and it's like, no, but I want to be perfect. I have this egoic vision of myself. No. that is this enlightened There's... deity. Like I know it all. 
there's something, I feel like we're in this sweet honey pot right now. (laughs) (laughs) And like, maybe we could drizzle in some chocolate as well, just for like, but it honestly, when you were talking, it felt like a sweet honey pot because again, like there's just, there's something about being vulnerable and being okay with not being great at something or not being an expert at something or realizing that, oh, damn, this is new for me. I'm learning how to do this. And I just love your, your attitude towards like, all right, well, I'm, I guess this is something that I'm learning and this is something that I can show up and improve on. It's just like the, and, and it's not the beginner's mindset, but there's just something there around like the purpose of practice or the practicality of practice and also how it can be so magical at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. And perhaps another idea that we haven't touched on directly is surrounding yourself with people that Mm -hmm. point that out. Right. That's a good friend. A good friend is someone that will disappoint you. I know. (laughs) Like in a, in a, Mm -hmm. I should clarify that. A good, do you know what I mean? Like a good friend I is do. someone that will tell you the truth yeah. at the expense of your disappointment. Yeah. Like love yourself enough that you're okay disappointing other people. It's mm-hmm. a line that I often use. But like love, love your partner, love your friend mm-hmm. enough that mm-hmm. you're okay saying the thing that they need to hear and risk that disappointment, but also earn their respect for doing it. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if the truth is asterisk, if the truth is presented in a compassionate, loving manner that you do believe will fundamentally help them, etc., mm-hmm. it's not just like, "Yo, you're an asshole." Yeah. Like that's yeah. not that's not good, healthy communication. So I'm being reminded of a time <laughs> when I this was in my like hardcore people pleasing days, and this mentor of mine at the time he said, "You know, you're not very nice." And this was earth shattering the worst thing you could have said to me because I was like, I'm the picture perfect, nice girl. I'm the poster girl. I love everyone. I love this. And yeah, he said, you're not very nice. And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't understand. He said, you don't do the kind thing. You're doing the disservice by not speaking your truth and by not sharing what you see, especially to those closest to you because you're enabling this behavior in others and you're perpetuating people showing up as assholes, (laughs) essentially. And he said, you know, you're focused on being nice, but you're not being nice. So why don't you be kind by actually saying the thing that needs to be voiced and needs to be said? And that has forever stuck with me. And like, that's a lot easier said than done. And I think that that in itself is a skill in learning how to say the difficult thing the thing that we know might hurt someone or ooh, sting a little bit, but there's so much love. And I do believe that that's truly kind is having the difficult conversations and saying those things. Yeah. And it circles back to what we talked about previously about transformation and change and risk mm-hmm. and all of that, because what I'm hearing is that you have a short-term amount of discomfort in order mm-hmm. to invest in a mm-hmm. longer-term totally. benefit. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So to use a, a simple analogy, it's like if you're at a coffee shop and the barista burns mm-hmm. your coffee and gives you a shit cup of coffee, you're like, oh, I don't want to say anything. It's fine. I'll just drink it. Mm-hmm. Like, eh, it's fine. 
what happens is that barista continues making terrible coffees right. for everybody. Yep. <laughs> and it does a disservice to the barista when you don't point that out. It's like, hey, man, you're burning mm-hmm. my coffee. Here's a better way to do it. And this will improve you. And this will actually make your business thrive because your customers will be getting better coffee. It's the same thing with your idea about enabling assholes. So mm-hmm. like, you need to stop doing that as a collective. I did a post and it said something like, stop dating assholes. Mm-hmm. Stop having sex with assholes. Stop getting back together with assholes. Stop making mm-hmm. excuses for assholes. Stop being friends with assholes. Like, Stop choosing them. Stop choosing assholes. Because guess what? If we do all of those things, then assholes have no incentive whatsoever to change. Yeah. The assholes are getting what they want. They're getting back together with you. They can treat you like shit and still date you and see you naked and stuff. Like we need to stop this, this cycle. And yeah. So anyway, that's my stop little rant about assholes. Thank you. Okay. So I know how we're going to bring this bad boy home. I like to do this in some of the episodes when I feel called to. Mm-hmm. We are going to pull a create the love card. Okay. And honestly, this is never planned. And like, there's, you know, there's some questions in here. And so whatever question I pull and ask you, I will answer as well. And I'm like, oh God, this is vulnerable. Get a little squirmy. But I love these Create the Love cards because they are a way to develop more connection. And so Mm. learn about each other and learn about ourselves. So tell me when to stop. (laughs) And let's see. Stop. And I'll also say to those listening, you should... Uh, follow Mark Groves on the internet. He's at Create the Love by his products and by his courses. He's a good friend of both of us and we love him. He's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, these usually I do introduce these a bit more. Create the Love cards, at Create the Love on Instagram. Mark is like the mayor of Instagram. He's like the, oh, you want to learn about love? Like you got to follow Mark Groves. (laughs) Anyway, let's answer your question. If you were to become famous, what would you like to be known for? (laughs) Um... (laughs) If I was to become famous, I mean, this is like what comes up for me is like, what kind of legacy would you want to leave behind? Mm -hmm. You know, or what do you want to be remembered for? And so one way I've described that previously is I'm just a dude that's trying to spread some kindness in his spare time. Yeah. And so I think at the core of my brand is kindness and compassion. And as cliche and cheesy as that sounds, I would like to be known for just being a good man mm-hmm. who helps inspire people to live well. That's the standard answer. And then like selfishly, yeah. <laughs> I would like to um I would like to be known as like a writer. Like this book that I'm writing, I would I would really love for my ideas about the world or society at large, my ideas that I really believe in mm-hmm. about kindness and compassion and all of these things to to spread and to be more widely regarded or discussed than they are now. Mm-hmm. Like it's very rare that I see politicians or leaders of industry talking about kindness and compassion. Yeah, that's right? true. I don't often see that on the news. It's like, hey, how can we as a society put kindness on the ballot and mm-hmm. just be a little bit better to each other. Yeah. 
What's your one? I can totally see that happening for you, by the way. I'm locking it in. Trying. Um, (laughs) So mine, what came to mind, and this is something I, I think is, again, as I've been just doing more of these interviews, my why is really solidifying for this podcast. And the thing that keeps coming up, and I don't necessarily have the perfect words to describe it, but I want to inspire people. So I want to be famous or I would want to be known for being the woman who inspires people to do that thing inside that you're even too afraid to admit to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of about the wildness. Like when I see that, it's like, ha <laughs> like running, yeah. like, and it doesn't need to be, I don't know, maybe it's like the thing that doesn't make sense, but that your soul really, really wants you to do. I want to be known for inspiring people to feed that part and to just go for it. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's similar. similar. Yeah, similar. Me, it like, is. Just and then, do it. Just do the fucking thing. Right? Well, and I'll, I'm going to piggyback on yours and like copy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, take my dream. Because I, <laughs> totally. Because I know I'm supposed to, like, I love writing. I never share any of it. And I have so many book ideas. So why many don't you things share writing? Yeah, I, I guess I'll have to now. Because no, but why I don't you? A lot of times it's like, uh, you know, I don't know why I do. I guess it's vulnerable. I'm like, will people judge me? Will they make sense of it? Will they be able to, will they be like, what the hell this woman rambles? Because <laughs> yeah. we know I kind of can ramble. <laughs> so yeah, yeah there's the other, something vulnerable about it. Yeah. The other part of that though, is like when we worry about the judgment of others, we're just yeah. judging ourselves. It's like, true. I know you know that. It's true. And I, and I feel like it needs to be perfect, but like, Fuck perfection. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's your first post or whatever. Okay. So I'll tag you. (laughs) I mean, there's that's a whole other episode too. That'll be the third episode that I come back on. (laughs) We could talk about writing and creativity. Yes, 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 yes. All right. So now for the final way that we're going to wrap this up, I'm totally just springing this on you. (laughs) So I said to begin with that I just so admire you for wanting to make the world a kinder place and that this is your mission. And I just love that this card was pulled. And for everyone listening, Jeremy's a bit of a spoken word master. He's a lyrical master. And so do you want to free flow on kindness for us? Uh, no. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I love that you said did that's all good. Yeah, I I can't do free flow. Okay. I, I can't sure. I can't like channel it. I know others can, but this is like the second or third time a podcast host has asked that, which is why I'm much more comfortable now just being like no. I can't. I can't I'm not good at that. I okay. it's not my method, but I can like recite a poem that I've already written. Perhaps. I love that. Yeah. That would be beautiful. That'll go over much better. Okay. I assure you, rather than me being like just be kind. Kindness is the way. Okay, everybody. I was going to suggest that we do a back and forth and oh, see what gosh. happens. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm open to that. Let me let me do a let me do a like a quick poem, okay. and then we can decide if that feels like a, a okay. good place to stop. <laughs> when i come back we can practice though we could like in our free time we could practice the the dynamic duo that is the yeah the glow joe love bomb flow freestyle okay ready 
Yeah, Here so. we go. I'm made of mountains inside. I'm made of mountains inside with some peaks too high for me to climb. I look inward and up, but I can't see the top. And if I can't see the top, how can I rise above? I choose to walk on instead of just stop. I choose to keep going when life gets too tough. I've got stems and leaves in my mind. I've trained over time to strive for the light despite all the darkness I feel inside. And while growth by design is a painful process, patient project that takes time, I'm on a perpetual quest to collect silver linings. Ooh. Chills. Yeah, I just made that up off the top of my head. That was my flow. <laughs> Thank you. You totally could have done that and I wouldn't have known any yeah, difference. I so should have done that. You are for the <laughs> next podcast I'm on. I'm like, yeah, let me think. Um, I'm looking outside my window, I see a mountain. I'm made of mountains, and then just like riff it. Yeah, I love it. That was Maybe. amazing. Thank you. You're, it feels you're the best. Well, was a question. Was this the most fun podcast you have been on yet (laughs) like to be to be frank like this one was super fun and i think it's really helpful because we know each other and like our friends yeah that makes it so much easier to just have a a banter or an energy yeah than trying to like i find most podcasts it's like you have that 10 minutes or so where it's a feeling out yeah generally you know occasionally you just drop right in yeah that's pretty rare yeah well, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. We I feel have. like to anybody listening, this would have been informative and engaging and weird and <laughs> quite a ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was such a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for joining me today and for showing up on a Sunday and for being present with me, being real, sharing who you are. Kindness is cool. Vulnerability is rad. Let's keep the conversations going and spreading the love, long distance love bombs. Everyone, I will link to Jeremy's, I'll link to all of your stuff. I'll link to his TED Talk, his long distance love bombs, Instagram. He has an awesome course called Get Shit Done 101. Seriously Mm -hmm. should have signed up for that like as soon as it was available. But you know, live and learn. I'll do it next time. I'm really needing to excavate through some shit. (laughs) So um, yeah, thank you. It's been a slice. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me and I look forward to seeing you soon. Mm